Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. So we are leaving the historic and we are venturing into the prophetic. All right, so now it gets complex. <laughs> it's been easy up to this point. Uh, now some of the stuff we're going to venture into is going to be extremely difficult. And, the, you know, so, so I'm going to try to stick to the notes. That way we can get through it all. Uh, but I also want to impress upon you there are so many variations just within independent Baptists, so many different ways to teach Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel's chapter 7 through 12 um, that it, it, it makes sense because it's such a complex portion of the book. I mean, Daniel 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, or Daniel 1, 3, 4, 5, and 6, that's easy. Because it's very practical. It's historic. It's about the character of Daniel, about the character of the other three Hebrew boys. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, chapter two gets a little complex because you've got to decipher who, you know, the, the, the layout of, of the times of the Gentiles. But it's not too bad. And, and so it's fairly easy to get a grasp on. Once you get into chapter seven, um, you're entering into no man's land. <laughs> and it gets wild. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 difficult, and there's a reason for that. So let's let's read verses one through eight. Verse one: In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream. All right, so now it's not Nebuchadnezzar; it's not these; it's not the Gentile kings seeing visions. Now it's Daniel, Daniel himself. And so we're not going to talk about we're going to talk about things that are going to happen within the context of the times of the Gentiles and after. But now the focus is going to be more on things that directly impact the time of the end. And the time of the end, so you're going to see this repeatedly in these chapters. This is so important for the context of everything we talk about. Because what people will do is they'll read something, they'll say, oh, this was back when that happened. But it, in the context, it's talking about this. So how can you go back when it's pointing you to the end? 
And so that, that's, it's really important to keep in mind. Now, there, there are aspects of chapters 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, 12 that are going to point us back. But the majority of it is pointing us forward to something that hasn't happened either in Daniel's time, not yet, or in our time that has not happened. All right, so, so these are things that are coming, though it's going to intermingle with a few things that have already happened. All right, now the time at the end is always going to point you to the end of the tribulation and the second coming of Christ. So anytime, anytime we read about the time at the end, this is what it's going to point you to. The, the close of the tribulation, which brings in the second coming of Christ. All right, so that, that's the dominant context of what we're going to talk about here. All right, back to verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night... And behold, the four winds of of heaven strove upon the great sea, and four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Everybody knows what that is, right? Oh, you do? Okay, tell us. (laughs) Tell us all about it. (laughs) That was a trick question, sorry. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth and made, and made stand upon the feet as a man. And a man's heart was given to it, and behold, another beast, a, a second, like, like a bear, and it raised up itself on one side, and it had three ribs in the mouth of it between the teeth of it. And they said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh." After this, I beheld, and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon the, the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth. It devoured and brake in pieces. And stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. All right, now, this is where we're going to get into some of the difficulties. So, so let me read through this to you, and we'll try, to, we'll try to point out the reality ahead of time, and then try to make sure we gain the context as we go and see if we can make sense of things. All right? As we move from chapter 6 to 7, we enter strange territory, some of which I'm not sure if I should tell you the giants are too big for me to fight for hope that the Lord will lead us into the promised land of scriptural understanding. You almost want to feel like those guys, they came back and they said, the giants are too big. Don't go in there. What's Daniel 7, 8, 9, 7 through 12 about? You don't want to go in there. <laughs> Just, as, you know, it's future events. You'll be gone anyways when it happens. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, we're responsible to teach the whole, the whole counsel of God. So these next six chapters are unbelievably complex. And I would like to tell you the Lord will give us understanding. But the reality is the Lord sealed certain aspects of this book and may not be available, and it may not be available for us to understand. Look, that's the fact. 
Okay, look at, look at Daniel 12 and verse 9. And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till when? Yeah. All right, so this is the reality. There are going to be certain things in this book, in this half of the book, that I don't think we're going to be capable of understanding. All right. Now, Daniel 7 is a great example, and, and you'll see what I mean as we go through it, but I'll, I'll give you the brief overview. Um, he tells us about these first three beasts, and he explains them as, as though we have a clue what he's talking about. <laughs> and Daniel doesn't ask anything about the first three beasts. Daniel says, I want to know about the fourth beast, which we'll, we'll, we'll get to. All right, and so what people do, trying to understand, which is a good thing, but, but what they do is they violate every principle of Bible study that exists in order to force their interpretation of something that, they, that it doesn't even explain. In fact, we get to the interpretation, and the interpretation tells us all about the fourth beast and doesn't tell us anything about the first three. So God gives us this brief introduction to these three beasts and then moves on to the fourth beast and doesn't tell us anything else about the first three. So what, what, what you can do from that is leave it like that and just understand that's the way it is. Or you can say, well, an eagle, you know, America, the, the bird of America is the bald eagle and the bear, you know, bear always represents Russia. So that must be Russia. And the lion, you know, all throughout history, uh, England had a lion on their flag. So that must be that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life and makes no sense whatsoever. All right? It doesn't fit the context. It doesn't help you understand the chapter anymore. It does nothing to advance the rest, the rest of this information and, and with its relationship to Zechariah or to Revelation or anything else. Notice that in order to do all that, you don't use a single cross-reference. You just start looking throughout the world and saying, what can I grab and put here? And so we're not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Now, if you want to do that, that's, that's entirely up to you. That's no problem. That's between you and the Lord. Uh, so if you read the commentaries of some of the, the, the best men God had, when they got to Daniel, Zechariah, and Revelation, they lose their mind. <laughs> And begin writing and teaching some of the strangest things. You know, I, I, I haven't listened to him in a long time, but I've, I, I got saved listening to Adrian Rogers. When Adrian Rogers got to the book of Revelation, something happened to his brain. It fell out. It stopped functioning. It, it broke. It, it, it makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, but he's still a great man, still a great brother. I still got saved listening to him. I, I love Adrian Rogers. I'm, I'm not against him. I'm not against any of the other men who disagree with the way I'm going to present this chapter. They'll get mad at me and get upset with me, but I'm not mad at them. You, we're going to take this information. We're going to do the best we can with it and, and present it honestly. Now, there, there are certain mistakes we want to avoid. We cannot teach Daniel 7 through 12 as though it were past history. Now, there will be portions of it that, that will fit into the past to some extent. All right. Now, and you got to remember, all right, so this is prophecy. All right. So where is prophecy pointing to? The future. All right. So this is pointing you to the future. But you got to remember, this was written in Daniel's day. All right, so when it comes to history, 
You have to think about history from Daniel's perspective and from ours. It's going to be two very different perspectives, isn't it? Perspectives, perspectives isn't it? Because what Daniel understood to be history, I mean, that was how many thousands of years ago now? 2,500, 3,000 years ago? A few things have happened since then. All right, so, so you got to remember that it's looking forward in Daniel's day, and to some extent, it's looking backwards also in ours. So you, so you have to keep those things in mind. You'll see what I mean in just a moment when we lay out, when we try and reconcile the four beasts in Daniel 7 with the image of Daniel 2, because this is the assumption everybody makes. All right, let me, first let me ask you a question. How many kingdoms are presented in Daniel chapter 2? Who remembers? Wrong. 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 It's close, but you're missing one. He's, he's naming them. Let's see what he comes up with. Five. Y'all don't want the Lord to return? Six kingdoms. Right, so five, if you don't count Jesus, I mean, that's kind of a big, that's kind of a big thing. You, know? <laughs> like you might want to count that. <laughs> All right, so there are five in Daniel 2. Six. See what you did to me? There are six in Daniel 2. Now you broke my brain. <laughs> but in Daniel 7, there's four. And so what everyone, what a lot of people do is they, and, and some of that sometimes for good reason, we'll, we'll you know, we want to be intellectually honest. I'm not just, I'm not mocking these men or tearing them down. What I'm saying is that they make assumptions and then rather than verifying them or, or they look at modern, they look at current events in their time and they start trying to overlay current events that, and things that are happening in the world at their time into the Bible. Well, the Bible, I mean, is projecting all the way out to the return of Jesus Christ, which at a minimum from this time is 3,000 years. <laughs> all right, so you, you, you can't use your current events. What, I mean, if you, every 100 years, the current events change drastically. All right, so, so you, you can't use current events to, 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 to align these things. So you have to reconcile what relationship do those six kingdoms and those four kingdoms have? Are they connected? Are they the same? And, and what the standard teaching is, well, the lion, well, that's Babylon because Nebuchadnezzar was first. So the lion is first. So it must be Babylon. And the lion was given the heart of a man. And, and what also had wings that were plucked and it was lifted up from the earth. When did that happen to Nebuchadnezzar? It didn't. All right. So, so you can't make that assumption, it has to fit, right? So, so you, you got to look at it in a little more detail, a little more critically, and, and help it to fit together. And we'll, we'll lay that out. I'm just, right now, I'm, I'm confusing you so I can help to correct you. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, well, you, you'll see. Because you, we're following a thought process right, right now. And what I want you to do is reconsider whatever opinions or ideas or preconceptions you have you don't want to make assumptions about what we're about to see. And so if you think you already know, even what I've given you with Larkin's, uh, uh, Larkin is another one. He's great. I mean, it, I mean look, at what, look at what that man accomplished in the early 1900s with a pencil. 
I mean, he drew those things. That's incredible. And, and laid all that out based on what he thought the scriptures were saying. Well, he did great in the first six chapters. He didn't do so hot in, this, in the last seven chapters. All right, so he, he, he kind of uh, fell off the horse a little bit. But that's okay. It, the material is still worth looking at, still worth studying, it's still worth going over. And I mean, it just it, it gets your mind going. It gets you something to, to, to see and to, uh, to learn from. So, so it's, it's definitely worth it. The chapter makes it clear it pertains to future events. For us now, some of it is history. Some of these kingdoms did come and go already. But other aspects of these chapters have yet to come and are, therefore, future. Several passages in these chapters refer us to the time of the end. The time of the end is a reference to the close of the tribulation when Jesus Christ returns. Because certain words of this book are sealed to the end, we will sometimes be like the Old Testament prophets who recorded New Testament truth with pen and paper and then asked the Lord, what did I just write? And the Lord said, it's not for you. Look at, look at 1 Peter chapter 1. I'll, I'll show it to you directly, give you an example. Verses 9 through 12. Receiving the end of your faith, even salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Now you see that. The prophets prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Think about that. This prophet walks into Jerusalem and begins preaching in the street, prophesying, and then he turns to God and says, what is that? And God says, just keep preaching it. Don't worry about it. It's not for you. It says they they inquired diligently. I want to know what this is. And God said, it's not for you. Don't worry about it. You write it down. You preach it, but it has nothing to do with you. Look at verse 11. Searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported. It wasn't revealed to them. They preached it. They wrote it. But it's revealed to us. You understand the difference? They had the words. It's like a lost man reading the Bible and trying to tell you what it says. You don't have the revelation. You don't have the spirit of God who can open this up to you. And if you don't have that, you're not going to understand it. That's why the most brilliant men in the world make a complete fool of themselves. At least to us, we get to laugh at their stupidity. When they, when they, I saw a, um, a meme online today. I've talked to you guys a little bit about Jordan Peterson. He's kind of a, a modern day philosopher. And uh, who knows what the Babylon Bee is? Anybody here know? You know what it is. So the Babylon Bee is a, is a Christian organization, whatever that means to them. I, I'm not sure, but... They, they make funny memes and stories about the world today from a Christian perspective. They, they, they kind of, it's, it's meant to be funny. It's meant to be, they call themselves the Babylon Bee because they're mocking the world from a Christian perspective. And, and because the world doesn't understand the way we think, it's, it's really funny. It's, it's, it's interesting. And so they had a picture of Jordan Peterson and underneath it, it said, um, how is it worded? It said, 
Jordan Peterson was reading the Bible. He, he, he's a lost man, though he's very close, it seems, to being saved. He's not, but he's very close. And he loves the Word of God. He appreciates it, but he's a psychologist. He's a philosopher. He doesn't believe it. And so the, the caption said something like, uh, Jordan Peterson reading the Bible and telling you everything that it says, but not believing a word of it, or, or you know, something to that effect. <laughs> and so, so it was pointing out the fact he's looking at the words and he can tell you so many insightful things about it, but he doesn't believe a word of it and, 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 can't, and can't put it together in, in, in a proper fundamental way because it's all philosophical, it's all you know, of moral value, and it's all psychological to him. Well, you can't approach the Bible that way. And so here you have the prophets who are given this revelation about the grace that you're going to receive. And they're telling God, I want to know what that is. And God says, well, I'm not telling you. It's not for you. But they have the words. They know that Christ is coming. They know he's going to die. They know he's going to be resurrected. They know this grace is going to be given to a a people who are not a nation, the Gentiles. And they're looking at God and saying, I'm preaching this, but I have no idea what it is. Well, here we are looking at, and, and this is the, the key to this for us. They were the prophets looking at the church age. Well, when did the church age make sense? When did we come to be able to understand the church age? After we got the New Testament epistles, when the apostles, we were all given the Holy Spirit and given the ability to understand the church age. It happened in the church age. Well, now we are in the church age looking at something that has to do with the tribulation. And the Lord said, no, I've sealed that until the end. So when are we going to gain the understanding about this? In the tribulation. Well, I'm not. <laughs> I hope you won't be there. But <laughs> All right, so but you see how that works. You have the Apostle Paul comes along and he says, I have the revelation of the mystery. Uh, the, the, the Lord has opened salvation to the Gentiles. That, that, that's, that's, you know, Peter goes and he goes to Cornelius' house in Acts 10 and he gets saved. Acts 11, he goes back to Jerusalem. They're like, what were you doing at that Gentile's house? <laughs> And Peter's like, the Lord, I mean, he sent this blanket down. It was full of meat. And he said, kill and eat and all that. I mean, I, I don't, I just, I, he asked me to come to his house <laughs> and he got saved the same way we did. And, and then Paul comes along later and says, this is, this is a mystery that was revealed to myself and the other apostles. And now we have to make it clear to you that everybody can be in the body of Christ. If you'll trust in Jesus Christ. All right. So that's kind of the direction things are going here. Um, all right, now just for the fun of it, come back to Daniel 7. I mean, we're going to teach through Daniel 7, but I want you to, I want you to see this. Um, I'll, I'll call upon your, your great expository ability. Look at verse 4. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked And it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man and a man's heart was given to it. No, I mean, he's talking about this lion. Who is that? What does that represent? What is that about? Does anybody have a clue what that is? No, you don't. 
Uh, look at verse 5. And behold, another beast, a second like to a bear. Now, is it a bear? No, it's like a bear. So is it Russia? Is it like Russia? Is it, it has nothing to do with Russia. Where did you get Russia from? Well, there's a bear. There's, there's bears in America, all over America. I live in Florida. I was, when I first moved to Florida, I'm driving from Tennessee down to Florida, and I start seeing signs that says, beware, bears crossing. It's like, yeah, bears in Florida? <laughs> I had no idea there were bears in Florida. One night, my wife and I had a lawn business. I used to cut grass, and my wife and I, she was helping me, and I was working late into the evening, and, and it was getting dark, and we're at this guy's house out in the woods, and we're cutting his grass, and I look over, and there's a bear whose back stands this tall, walking through the yard that we're cutting. I was like, we're done. Get in the truck. <laughs> I don't care what needs to be finished. It's time to go. <laughs> Uh, so I guess Florida is, is the bear. Like you, you can't just start looking for people who have some sort of connection to a bear and say, well, that must be what this is talking about. Because you have too many options that, that could possibly make sense, and then you have to force all of them into this. You can't just pick one, but you are going to pick one, and you're going to pick the one that you agree with. Right, so... There would be absolutely no way whatsoever to read this and connect this bear, this random bear in in the Bible, to Russia. Amen. All right. Glad you're excited about that. And it raised up itself on one side, and it had three ribs in its mouth. Russia likes ribs, apparently. And so if you go to Russia, get the ribs. (laughs) Why does it have three ribs in its mouth? No idea. And there is no cross-reference. There is no more light. There is nowhere you could go in the Bible to say, oh, that's why it has three ribs in its mouth. In fact, I wrote this down just for this. Uh, Where where did I write that? In the singular, for, for the word rib, all right? Just one word, rib, and the word ribs. You know what the only other mention of the word ribs is? The only one in the entire Bible is when God put Adam to sleep and took the rib out of his side. (laughs) Said he opened his ribs and took one rib out of his side. That's the only mention of the word ribs other than the one that this bear has in its mouth. Does that help you figure out what this bear's doing and what he's talking about? No. There's no other light on it. All right, so then you can look at the singular and see if that gives you any light. Well, the only mention of the word rib, it's mentioned multiple times where someone, at like five times, someone got stabbed in the fifth rib. <laughs> so if you need to kill somebody with a spear, good place to stab them, according to the Bible, is in the fifth rib. Now, if it was the third rib, I might say, aha. Three ribs in the bear's mouth, stabbed in the third rib. Maybe we've got something here, but there's, there's nothing. Okay, so if, you, if you're going to follow the principles of Bible study, context, the context is key. You have to get the context. All right? Having got the context, then you will look at the cross-references. There's nothing. Nothing that would help you to understand what this is talking about. Amen. Good class. Go home. Everybody, why did I come? 
Uh, Brother Thomas came here to just tell me that I, I can't know anything. Praise the Lord. All right, so four wings or four heads. What's that about? No idea. Now, this is what Bible commentators do. They say, well, well, the, the, the leopard represent, must represent Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great had four generals. See, there's the four heads, the four wings. And his kingdom was eventually split and given to the four generals. So that's the Grecian Empire. Now, if you want to do that, have that. Praise the Lord. Have at it. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. And then, and then if you start reading the historical realities of those situations, then it's really going to mess up your prophecy. Because then you find out that the commentators force these things to fit the, the, this historic narrative. And it turns out it doesn't fit the historic narrative whatsoever. They always had to change something or fix something. I'll give you another example. In chapter 8, there, there are these, these kings and they say, well, the one king was richer than the other. So we think it's these kings from, from I think it was Persia. Well, then you go and you, you start reading the commentaries and they say, well, the king that was richer than the others, there was only supposed to be like three of them. And so the third one was richer than the, than the, than the two before. And then it turns out in reality, historically, the rich one was actually the fourth one or the fifth one in the line of those kings. But the commentators say, well, we looked at the other two and we think that their being king was illegitimate. So we didn't count them. That's a problem. You don't get to do that. That's called lying. <laughs> and so, so it doesn't, if it doesn't fit, don't force it. Just be comfortable with the fact God said, there are certain things in this book. I have sealed it until the time of the end, and I'm not telling it to you until then. What you can know, know it and know it well. What you can't know, don't make up stories and try to sound intellectual or, or, or spiritual and, and start reaching into current, current events or, or historical societies and saying, well, this must be that and this must be that. And, and those are called fairy tales. And then what happens is Baptists adopt those wholesale. And then, and then when some secular intellectual comes along, he calls them out on it and wants them to defend it. And then you're stuck trying to defend a complete lie. You're trying to tell people how this bear is Russia and and the eagle is America. Why? It makes no sense. Just tell them what the Bible says. I don't know what it is. (laughs) It didn't tell us what it is. Right? You get to the interpretation in the second half of this chapter, and the interpretation is all about the fourth beast. And, and, here, and here's, here, here's why. I, I'll show you why. Look at, um, look at verse 19. Verse 19, then I would know the truth of... I mean, think about this. Now, God says you got this, this beast like a lion, you got this one like a bear, you got this one like a leopard, and then you have this one that's diverse from all of them. It's nothing like the other three. And Daniel says, well, I want to know about that one. <laughs> couldn't you ask also, I mean, couldn't you have just said, well, since we're here, could you give us information about the first three so, we, so that people, so that independent Baptists don't fight over it <laughs> for the rest of their history? No, Daniel says, well, I, I understand all those. What's that fourth beast? Praise the Lord. Thanks, Daniel. 
Look at verse 16. I came near unto one of them that stood by and asked him of the truth of all this. So he told me and made me to know the interpretation of the things. What did he just say? God told me about those first three beasts. But I'm not telling you. It's sealed to the end. God gave me the interpretation, and I'm going to tell you about the fourth beast because you need it for the book of Revelation, but I'm not telling you about the other three. All right, now, verse 28. Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me, and my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. So uh, I guess uh, from, a, from, from a practical standpoint, does it bother you when you don't know the word of God? Does it bother you when you can't answer it? You can't give someone a, a proper and honest answer? It bothered Daniel that he didn't understand. Then when he got the understanding, when, he, when, he, when the word of God was revealed to him, that bothered him. Does it bother you to know that lost souls are dying and going to hell? Does it bother you to know that saved souls know absolutely nothing about the word of God? They stumble in darkness having received light. Does that make any sense at all? So it should bother you that you don't know something. But you want to be honest about what you can know. And not just make things up and write a book about it and sell it for $39.99 and, and have people buy a book. That, it drives me crazy. I, I, I scour these commentaries and I, I read them and I try to read widely from a diff, different groups of people and get as much information as I can, even from people I don't like. I'm like, well, let's just see what he says. And maybe he said something interesting. And 90% of them say the exact same garbage. They just, somebody started it, made it popular, and now they just repeat it throughout the centuries. And, and it, or they'll alter it a little based on where they are historically. And so instead of, you know, instead of the Pope being the Antichrist, President Barack Obama is the Antichrist. Somebody wrote a book about it and people bought it and, and, were, and thought that he was the Antichrist. Well, then that didn't work out. So Hillary Clinton became the Antichrist. And then Donald Trump must be Jesus Christ because he stopped her and took her off the throne. Look, don't try to force recent events to fit the Bible. Do you know who, do you, do you know only somebody dumb enough to watch American politics could be tricked into thinking Barack Obama was the Antichrist? The rest of the world was like, who? Except for a few people in Africa who thought he was going to come save Africa, but he really didn't care about black people. He just needed to use you. <laughs> That's politics. You can't bring current events into Bible prophecy. It doesn't work that way. When the current events match Bible prophecy, you will absolutely know without a doubt. There will be no question. I guarantee you, when we're raptured, as we're, as we're floating up into the clouds, nobody's going to be looking around saying, I wonder what this is. <laughs> you're going to hear that trump, and we're going to go and, and meet the Lord in the air. And you're not going to be wondering on the way, you know, what... what what is happening right now? Did the earth just lose its, lose its gravity? <laughs> what, what just happened? All right, so you're, you'll know exactly what's going on. All right, verse 1. 
chapter 7, verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. I don't know who he told it to. Maybe he told it to himself, but it doesn't say. So here again, we could just make something up. (laughs) Daniel had dreams and visions. This is interesting. Um, You know, this is my perspective, I guess you could say, of this, of the way this is worded. It's not necessarily, it doesn't, it doesn't say this explicitly. Um, So I'm, I'm not just making up a story. I think you'll see what I mean when I, when I point out what's on my mind. Um, It says dreams and visions. So, So, I'm sorry. Right. So what it what it looks like to me is, you know, Daniel goes to sleep and he starts having this wild dream about these beasts coming up out of the sea and and all these crazy things are happening. And he's like, man, I don't want to see that. So he wakes up. He tries to wake himself up and get out of it. Well, then he starts having visions (laughs) as soon as he wakes up. It's like, well, whether you're asleep or awake, the Lord's going to reveal it to you and give it to you. And, And so it just, you know, this distinction between the dreams and the visions uh, you know, when you're asleep, when you're asleep, you dream. When you're awake, you can have visions and, and, and these things upon your head. And so um, the indication seems to be that Daniel was unable to escape this revelation from God. There seems to be a difference between the two. And again, that's, uh, I, I think that can be demonstrated biblically. If you, if you, um, you do a, an entire search through the Bible on dreams and the characteristics of them versus visions, you'll see they're, they're starkly, they're very different. Typically, if you have a vision, you're awake. If you have a dream, you're asleep or daydreaming, which you're in this kind of half-wake, half-sleep mode (laughs) where you might as well be asleep. So verse 1 provides us with the timeline needed or a time frame, not a timeline, a time frame needed to make sense of the following verses of the rest of the chapter. Okay, now this is important. So I, I, I talked... Early on about aligning the, the six kingdoms in chapter 2 with the four kingdoms of chapter 7, right? All right, well, we're given an important detail here in the first year of who? Okay, that's important. It's very important. Look at verse 17, and we'll see why. These great beasts, okay, what, what beasts is he talking about? The ones referred to in the first four, five, six chapter, uh, verses, right? The beasts that are coming up out of the sea, the lion, the bear, the, the leopard, and the diverse beasts, all right? That's, that's what he's talking about. All right, back to verse 17. These great beasts, which are four, are four kings... Which what? Shall arise. Which means they haven't done it yet. Right? It's a a future event. It's something that's about to happen. Well, who is already dead and gone by the time Belshazzar is king? Nebuchadnezzar. So how could Nebuchadnezzar be the lion? Is he going to rise from the dead and become king again? No. No. Belshazzar marks the end 
of Babylon. All right, so the Babylonian kingdom ends with Belshazzar. So you can't go back and put it, you know, and make it Nebuchadnezzar. That makes no sense. It doesn't fit the, the entire structure of, of, of all the information we're going to be given. These are things that are coming, that are going to happen. This is not something, we're, we're not, this is not an overlay of something past, present, and future. From Daniel's point forward, it's future. Everybody see that? Some of you looking at me like, you understand? Are you with me? So so, what you do? What how can it, what what piece are you missing, or what do you what what would help you to understand it? So if if we're in the first year of Belshazzar, it means Nebuchadnezzar has been gone for a, about seventy years, sixty plus years, sixty five years, something something like that. All right. If we're going to try and place these four kingdoms, we can't start with Nebuchadnezzar. Does that make sense? We have to look forward to the coming kingdoms. Who takes this kingdom? Darius, which is a Mede and Persian, right? So the Persian kingdom is going to come, and they're going to take Babylon. They're going to take out Belshazzar. So everything that we're talking about looks forward from, from this point in Daniel's life, not backwards. So you can't take the lion and say, that's Babylon. Because then you violated the, the structure of this prophecy. He just said, these kings, the beasts are kings. All right, well, we're going to look at this again in a minute, but the beast represents a king, which represents a kingdom. We'll, we'll, we'll make that connection in a minute. But he said there in seven, chapter 17, these beasts are kings which shall arise. They're coming. They're going to come up out of the earth, out of the sea, right? So then if they're going to come, why would you reach back and grab a king who already came and went? You wouldn't. So then comes from four chapter, comes after chapter four. Comes after chapter four. Chapter five, Yes, I see what you're saying. Yeah, so Belshazzar, chapters seven, chapter seven is the first year of Belshazzar. Chapter eight is the third year. And then in chapter five, when he's taken out, it's about eight years after chapter seven. All right, so, but remember, the books that are divided historic and prophetic. All right, so the emphasis in each, the reason each is in its location is based on its ability to provide historic information or prophetic information. All right, so chapters one through six, it's all about the history, but it's not in chronological order necessarily. Chapter seven through 12 is all, it's focusing on the prophecy. Now, there's a little bit of prophecy in one through six. And there's a little bit of history in 7 through 12, but that's not their main focus. These are their main emphasis. All right. So if they shall arise, it is an indication that they have not done that yet, meaning these are things to come. 
If that is so, then the first beast cannot be Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar was the representative head of Babylon. Remember, the beast represents a king, which represents a kingdom. That king is already gone. So you can't make the lion Babylon, not and be coherent and make sense in the context of the chapter. All right. So this is and this is the hard thing. This is when once you once you develop the context and you strive to stay in that context, it becomes a difficult puzzle because you start thinking in your mind, if I would just violate the context a little bit, this could make sense. (laughs) And I'd look like a great Bible teacher. Yeah, but you'd mislead everybody. It wouldn't be true. If you violate the context, then you've made the chapter mean nothing. This is the difficulty. This is what the modern world can't comprehend about words. Words mean something. All right. When you take words and put them together in a, in a sentence, you've created an idea. And the words you chose to use in that sentence are going to lock you into what that idea means. You can't have a sentence and say, you know, the balloon is red. That means cars like gas. That's nothing to do with cars liking gas. It's talking about a red balloon. Well, that's what you think. It doesn't matter what you think. The words lock you in to the meaning and you have to stay there. Right. Once once you gather the context and you start building that structure based on the context you can't violate it. If you do, you blow the whole thing out of the water. It's going to make no sense. It's very important. And people do it all. They, they completely violate the context. And it looks good. It fits. It seems right. But makes no sense whatsoever in the context. And, but because nobody cares about the context, they just, oh, that's... That's a great Bible teaching. I've never seen that before. There's a reason you've never seen that before. It's because it's not there. So, with this in mind, if we were to match the metals of the image in Daniel 2 with the vision in Daniel 7, it would go like this. Gold. Nebuchadnezzar. Not represented in chapter 7. He's not there. Silver, Persia, lion. And you'll, you'll see how I came to this conclusion in a minute. But what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to get to a point all right, we're gonna, we're gonna, we have to find a starting point and either work backwards or, or forwards or from the middle out. Does that make everybody understand what I mean? You have to find some area of, of truthful similarity, and then that has to be your starting point. Then you got to look from there and say, okay, can I go forward from here? Do I go backwards from here? Or am I in the middle and need to, need to make sense of it going from the middle out? All right, and so in this case, you'll see why in a moment, but we started at the end the last kingdom, and worked our way back. And, and, and it'll make sense in just a moment. Next, you have the brass, uh, Grisha, bear. Oh, no. 
Do you mean Russia? No, I don't mean Russia. What? I guarantee you, people who believe that the bear is Russia, they saw Russia invade Ukraine. They're like, oh, prophecy. There's prophecy. What prophecy? What, what prophecy says that Russia is going to invade Ukraine? They've been trying to invade Ukraine since they split. <laughs> it's not a new thing. Oh, and then when Barack Obama was president and Russia took Crimea from Ukraine, oh, uh, the world, I mean, it's, it's time. The Lord is coming back. What does any of that have to do? What, you can't take current events and try to make sense of the Bible. You want to use the Bible to make sense of current events. And the, if you did that, then you would see, look, look, uh, 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 this Sunday I'll be teaching through Matthew 24. It, it, it's the exact same thing. People say, oh, there was an earthquake, signs of the times. The Lord said there would always be earthquakes. It's not a sign of the time. Since, since sin came into the world, there have been wars, rumors of wars, disease, pestilence, earthquakes. All those things have existed. You're going to tell me when Cain killed Abel that that was a sign of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? No, you wouldn't. So that makes no sense. So you, you can't try and force current events into prophecy. It, it, it doesn't fit. All right, so then next you have iron. Rome, leopard. Who knows what's next? The iron and clay, the ten toes, with the diverse beast. And this is the kingdom of the Antichrist. All right, now why do I say that? Iron mingled with clay, represented by the ten toes. If you look back at um, uh, chapter 7, verse, uh, verse 5. And behold, another beast, a second like to a bear, uh, a second like to a bear, and it raised up itself on one side. And it had three ribs in the mouth of it, between the teeth of it. And they said, unto, un, they said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. Verse 6, After this I beheld, and lo, I beheld, and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and beheld a fourth beast, Dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly. And it had great iron teeth. All right, so that's, that's the first clue. All right, so, so this, here you have the iron. And so people say, it was, oh, that, I mean, that, that's got to be Rome. And, and they say, uh, you know, at one time Rome had, Rome had emperors that sat on seven hills. Look, I'm, I'm just, I'm sorry. It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. It makes no sense whatsoever. All right, so iron is, is, is one connector. It's one, one way that it connects it together, but, but let's, let's continue. After this, I saw in the night visions and beheld a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, and it had great, great iron teeth. It devoured and break in pieces. All right, that's, 
characteristic of, of, what, of what that uh, mingled uh, kingdom would do in Daniel 2. And then it, it, it continues, it break in pieces and stamp the residue with the feet of it. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it. And it had 10 horns. All right, so the, the, the next two clues, it is diverse from all the others. Look, the Lord says, you know, Persia, a lion. The, the, the Grecian Empire, it's like a bear. The Roman Empire, it's like a leopard. I mean, it's like, like these just devouring beasts. Well, Lord, what's the fourth kingdom like? I don't know what to tell you. It, it's, it's something mingled with the seed of men. It's diverse. It's different. I don't even have a beast that I could use to illustrate it to you. And then 10 horns, 10 toes, 10 kings. And you'll see this connection to the kings later as we go through. It turns out having 10 kings and out of it comes the Antichrist. All right, so... Now, what that, what that tells me is the, these two are linked. And so the, four, the fourth kingdom starts at the fifth kingdom in, in Daniel 2 and goes back to Persia. And the next king that shall arise is Cyrus, king of Persia. All right, so that's, that's the way I put it together. Persia shall arise. Cyrus is the beast, the king. Remember, the the beast is a king, which is a kingdom, is the next to come. Does that make sense? (laughs) Praise the Lord. Where did I lose you? The part where he said joking of Cyrus, Persia, and all right, so it's, a, it's another indicator of where these four lay out. All right, so we talked about this. This is in the time of Belshazzar, right? All right, so Belshazzar is currently king, which means Nebuchadnezzar's dead and gone. And these four beasts, these four beasts represent four kings, which will also represent four kingdoms, right? All right, with me so far. So the next kingdom to come... Persia, Cyrus, Cyrus is king of Persia. And so the next kingdom to come is is Persia. Cyrus is the king that puts us here. Silver, Persia, lion. All right. Then then you go to the end. You have the the feet and the toes. There are 10 toes with 10 horns that makes a connection. That kingdom is made of iron and it's mingled with clay. It's some, something has mingled with the seed of men and created this inordinate kingdom. God says, I don't even have a beast for that. <laughs> I don't even know what to tell you to explain to you what that is. All right, but the, 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 the iron and the ten toes, it connects us together with this, this last uh, kingdom that will come before the Lord Jesus Christ puts them down. Does that make sense? All right, good. Anybody else? Any questions so far? 
I see a lot of wheels turning. <laughs> All right, now we, we've got to get Daniel 7 as straight as we can because look, at, look again at the last verse. Skyler's clapping. The Holy Spirit's gotten into him. Verse 28. Uh, is that the one I want? Hitherto is the end of the matter. Yeah, uh, verse 28. Hitherto is the end of the matter. So you see that we, we, we've come. Once you get to verse 28, Daniel says, okay, that's the end of it. But then there are five more chapters. <laughs> and those five chapters build on chapter 7. They, they, are, they each have a relationship with chapter 7. So we've got to get chapter 7 squared away, or when we get to the latter chapters, we're really going to be just making things up. Yes, sir? Oh, I thought you were, sorry, I thought you were raising your hand for a question. No problem. Um, okay, so everybody with me so far? Praise the Lord. I like that. Good. Amen. Monica sounds confident. All right. The iron mingled with clay, 10 kings, the beast diverse from all others. The Bible doesn't have a beast capable of representing this final kingdom. It's so diverse and inordinate because of the mingling with the seed of men that even God can't describe it to us. <laughs> That's amazing. Now, now we're, we're, it'll probably be repeated multiple times. If this beast is diverse from all the ones before it, then it's not Rome part two. Or God would just say, this beast is just like the leopard. <laughs> the leopard came back to life and all four of his heads. And uh, here we are again with Rome. He's telling you, whatever this kingdom is, it's not like any of these. It's so diverse. It's so different. I, I can't even, it's not even a, a beast I can name. <laughs> All right, everybody see that. You don't have to agree with it. If you still think it's Rome, praise the Lord. You go around to everybody that uh, it's an Italian man. That's fine. I, I don't care. <laughs> but you've got to be intellectually honest enough to say, the Lord literally said, it's not like this one. It's not like this one. It's not like this one. It's diverse from all the ones that came before it. So it seems to me like it would be foolhardy to say it's the revival of the Roman Empire. <laughs> oh, you mean Rome all over again? Well, what's the point in saying it was diverse? <laughs> Why this emphasis on its diversity? In fact, it emphasizes it multiple times and tells you, it's not like those other kingdoms. Something very strange is coming. And, and when it comes, we won't be here. And then soon after, the Lord Jesus Christ will come and take care of them. Yes, sir. Uh, those animals put in line as fierce as they are? Or... No, so, so the thing about the animals, all right, uh, the, the only way I can make this connection is I know that Persia comes next. And I know that the ten kings and the iron mingled with clay matches this last kingdom. All right. In terms of the, the beasts that are, that are with it, the Bible gives us no information whatsoever. I have no idea. Now, if somebody came to me and said, 
well, this lion has to be the head of gold because Nebuchadnezzar was made to live like a beast and then they, they let him come back. And so that, that makes sense with the lion that was given the heart of a man and, and, and all, you know, it just the, in your mind, you would start saying, oh, that makes sense. That fits. It doesn't fit the structure in the context of, of chapter seven. It completely violates the context. I don't know how you would determine that. I mean, the lion is the king of the jungle. I mean, <laughs> that's what they say. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, I, I don't know because let's say it was in order by strength and that the lion was stronger than a bear and a bear stronger than a leopard. It's still true that the bear consumed the lion and the leopard consumed the, the, the bear and the lion. So it's, it, it does, I, I, it, when it comes to this first part, this first part of the chapter, until we get to the fourth beast, Daniel said, I'm not interested in those. Just tell me about that fourth beast. <laughs> so I, I have, you know, why the lion with wings and, and why was he plucked up? No idea. Why is there a bear running around with three ribs hanging out of his mouth? There's no information whatsoever for me to be able to give you any any you know, intelligent explanation on that. All I can do is read that to you and tell you the Lord must have sealed that up. I have no clue what cross-references you would run to get any information about this bear with ribs in his mouth. Lots of cross-references about lions. None of them had to do with Persia or Babylon or America or, <laughs> or anything else like that. I have, I have no idea. And so that, this is an area where you just have to say... The Lord knoweth. Move on. Don't just make something up. Now you can make beautiful charts and draw things, and, and it looks good. And, and, and you'll see on his charts, he has, you know, the lion is Babylon, the, 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 uh, the bear is um, Persia, and the leopard is brass, and, and this diverse kingdom is Rome. That's exactly how he has it laid out. But if that is true... When we get into the second part, into the interpretation, that Roman Empire did some strange things in the interpretation. Because if you're going to make this diverse kingdom the Roman Empire, that means that that everything we're about to read would happen in the time of the Roman Empire. (laughs) Well, where is the Roman Empire? It's gone. So then what does that lead men to say? Rather than saying, I think we're wrong about this, they say, it's going to be revived. It's going to come back. That's what it is. I, I know this doesn't fit anything that I'm about to teach you from the Bible. So to make it fit, the Roman Empire is going to come back. That's what it is. Right. I'm going to try and encourage you, don't do that. If it doesn't fit, there's a reason. It's because you're wrong. <laughs> All right. Belshazzar represents the end of the Babylonian kingdom. Soon the Medes and the Persians will overtake them. Daniel 7 presents us with the last four kingdoms before the Lord returns, though the chapter does bring the second coming into view as well. We're going we're gonna to see that as we go through the chapter. Verse 2. Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, 
And behold, the four winds of the heaven strove upon the great sea. Now, there are, there are cross-references in the Old Testament that point the great sea, that, that describe the Mediterranean Sea as the great sea. And that could fit the, the context of what we're teaching here. Uh, every one of those uh, kingdoms at one point thrived or lived off of or around the, the Mediterranean. So that could be the case, but, but it, it, the, the reality seems that this, this fits more of a prophetic outlook of the word sea, not, not, a, um, not a physical location. We're not talking about the Mediterranean Sea and, and going to the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, in, in the Bible, sea and seas often refer to large masses of people. And, and so we'll, we'll look at that. First, we'll look at the four winds of heaven. Um, these four winds... They're striving. It seems to be a battle of sorts. And from this battle, out of the sea comes four beasts. So these four winds are fighting. They're striving over this sea. The sea, is, it's, it's, it's people. And then out of those people are elevated four beasts, kings, and they bring with them their kingdoms. All right. So look at, um, look at Jeremiah 25. Well, Try to make sense of that. Jeremiah 25. Reverse 32 through 33. Verse 32. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. Behold, evil shall go forth from nation to nation. And a great whirlwind shall be raised up from the coast of the earth. And the slain of the Lord shall be at that day. From one end of the earth to the other end of the earth, that uh, they shall not be lamented, neither gathered nor buried. They shall be dung upon the ground. Now, this is a prophetic look forward. But you see this great whirlwind that's going to rise up uh, from from the coast of the earth. All right. Now, that's important. Just keep that in mind. Look at Revelation chapter seven, uh, 25, 32 through 33. I'll get Revelation 7. Chapter 7, verse 1. And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. Now in Daniel, we have them striving like they're, I mean, you can almost imagine these, Angels holding these winds back and they're and they're fighting to get at each other, kind of trying to force themselves at each other. And um, and then when they're cut loose, according to that whirlwind in Jeremiah, which which would point us to this time frame, uh, it's judgment. It it just when they cut loose, it just total destruction begins to take place. Right. And so here you have in Revelation. Let me fix that real quick. I don't know how. Kristen must have messed up my notes. Couldn't have been me. All right, in Revelation, the four winds are held back to prevent destruction until the servants of God, the 144,000, are sealed. Once they're sealed, then in Jeremiah, they are set loose and they cause great destruction. Uh, now, let's look at a Bible definition of the seas. Look at Revelation 13. Revelation 13 and verse 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea, 
and saw a beast. Does that sound familiar? All right. So chapter 13, chapter 11, chapter 12, chapter 13 and chapter 17, but especially 13 and 17 are going to have a strong relationship to Daniel 7. All right. And we're going to, we're going to see a lot of similarities between them. But the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. All right, now, what did he rise up out of? The sea. sea. Look at chapter 17, verse 1. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. Uh, Look at verse 15. And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where, where the whore sitteth, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. All right, now this is only... This only fits in prophetic passages if the context allows for it. All right. So you, you, you can't just say every time C is mentioned in the Bible that it's a that it's a reference to, you know, people that that may or may not be the case. You have to let the context tell you if it's prophetic, there's a good chance it could be. But again, the, the, the context of the verse will, will let you know. Uh, but in this case, the 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 beast these four beasts are coming up out of people in the earth. So they're not coming out of the water. You know, it, it, uh, they're, they're, if you're not careful, there would appear to be a contradiction because in, back in Daniel 7, you know, chapter or verse 2 or 3 says they come up out of the sea. And then later in the chapter, it says they come out of the earth. Well, which one is it? Well, the sea are multitudes of people, right? So it's, it's both. <laughs> they came out of a sea of people not out of water, right? So just keep that in mind. Go back to Daniel 7 and verse 3. And four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. All right, now the beasts are kings and the kings represent kingdoms. So you see, look in verse 3, four great beasts came up, right? Everybody see that? Verse 17, verse 17, these great beasts, which are for, are for kings. So everybody see the connection from the the beasts to the kings. What are you giggling at? (laughs) Did you do something? <laughs> it's not a flask. He brought a he brought a barrel with a handle. <laughs> you could collect rainwater in that thing. <laughs> uh, all right, can we get back to more important matters? All right, so you see the connection between the beast and the king. Right. All right. So when the beast rise, rises, so in this beast, the, 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 the lion comes up, it's it's Cyrus. And with Cyrus comes a kingdom. All right. Let me show you that. Look at verse 23. 
Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom. All right, so, so, so they're connected. While the kingdom of Persia has a representative head, where did I write his name? Cyrus. All right, so he, he represents that kingdom. He's that beast, but so is Persia. All right, they're connected to him. All right, so, so it, it puts all those together like that. Daniel 7 is not a repeat of Daniel 2. In Daniel 2, Daniel had no questions and seemed to understand the vision and the interpretation. Uh, but in this one, look at verse 16. I came near unto, the, unto one of them that stood by and asked him of the truth of all this. So he told me and made known the interpretation there. He's like, what is this? Now, that didn't happen as far as we know in Daniel 2. Daniel 2, he shows up with confidence and says, I got the answer. I know it. <laughs> Let Take me into the king. And king says, are you sure you know? He says, I know it. He says, God showed it to me. God revealed it. This is what it is. And, and I'm sure. I'm certain. And the king says, yeah, that's, that was my dream. That's true. Okay. This time, Daniel's like, what did he say? <laughs> did he say like a, a, a lion with eagle's wings? I didn't know America was going to be. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so he's not sure what, what he's being shown here. Four great beasts came up from the sea, a lion, a bear, and leopard. All right, now, now the fourth one is diverse from the others. It doesn't give us a, a, a name. But think about these first three. I want, you, I want to show you something very interesting. Four beasts come up. It's a lion, a bear, and a leopard. It's a beast that comes out of the sea. All right, everybody got that in your mind. All right, now go back to Revelation 13. <clears throat> Revelation 13, verses 1 and 2. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea having seven heads. Now, we're going to see in, in a few minutes that it, it originally had ten heads, but three of them are taken out. All right, that's, that's all going to come later, but, but, but this beast matches perfectly what we're seeing in, in, in Daniel 7. All right, what, what, what is being described here? But it, but it, it continues. So he had uh, ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads, the name of blasphemy. And the, and the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. All right, so you see what all this is driving us to. This is the Antichrist, the beast, the false prophet. It's, it's leading us all in this direction. That that's this this final kingdom that's coming is it's it's going to be wild. I hope we can watch it, <laughs> but not be here. <laughs> Maybe the Lord has you know rafters somewhere we can go sit and watch what's going on, <laughs> and we can just kind of watch. But uh, I don't want to be here to see it. I don't want to experience it. You know, people are like, man, wouldn't you? They watch a movie and they're like, what if that happened to you? No, what if it didn't? That'd be great. <laughs> I don't want it to happen to me. I don't want to experience something bad or, or you know, whatever. You, you, you have at it. Go jump off a cliff. 
Um, but you see the connection between the beast, the, the, the four beasts of, of Daniel 7 and this beast that John is seeing in, in 13, chapter 13. Um, in verse 3, the beasts are described as great beasts. All right, look at that again in, in Daniel 7, 3. Man, it's, you know, it's really hard to say beast in the plural multiple times <laughs> and, and stress that last S that's supposed to be there. All right, the four great beasts. All right, you got to, or you sound, you know, like you sound unintelligent. The four great beasts. Well, you can't use a singular beast with four. You have to, anyways. All right, so, um, but you see how, how, God describes them, four great beasts, right? Now look back at Daniel 2, and we talked about this in Daniel 2, but we'll, we'll see it a little more clearly here. And uh, look at verse 31. <clears throat> Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. Okay, so, so when men saw it, they said, wow, look at this great image. And when God saw it, he said, those are a bunch of ravenous, filthy beasts. Men look at these coming kingdoms and they say, man, look how the the gold and the silver and the brass, look how great they are. God looks at it and says, I mean, what, what exactly does a bear do to men? He doesn't lay down and let you rub his belly. (laughs) He's going to kill you. If you you met a bear face to face, people, people think they can fight off a bear. You know what you're supposed to do if if you encounter a bear? You either outrun him, which is not likely to happen. That's if it's a male. You can try and outrun him. If it's a female, they tell you to bow down like a baby and lay there and let it maul you. And maybe it will walk away and leave you ripped to pieces. Otherwise, it's just going to rip you apart. They are unbelievably powerful. And they will kill you. And you will do nothing unless you have an American mentality and a nice gun. (laughs) But that's what God's describing here. These are great beasts. And what do great beasts do when you encounter them? They destroy. They devour. They eat. Uh, I mean, you, you live in Africa. Who wants to go run in the plains with a lion? Anybody? No? Me neither. People are like, don't you think it'd be neat to, to be in their territory? No, I don't. I think you'd be lunch, not neat. It's just you're toying with something that if it decides in that moment that it wants you, that, that, that tiger that I sat next to, his head was bigger than my torso. It's massive. If that thing decided to turn around and snatch me, guess what's going to happen? <laughs> He's going to have a full belly. That's what's going to happen. There's nothing you can do about it. You will do absolutely nothing if you don't have some way to defend yourself. And the only way to defend yourself is to have a high-powered rifle. (laughs) I've seen another video where a man was walking through. You know, they have all these. There are tons of videos on YouTube about people who go on safari in South Africa and Zimbabwe, and the animals attack them. There's like hundreds of them. So I will never go on safari in Zimbabwe or South Africa, I don't care how much you want me to go. It's not happening. But this one guy was walking with his rifle and a lion charged him 
And he had about from here to that wall to, to turn his rifle and fire, and he dropped that lion. If he didn't have that rifle, goodbye. <laughs> it's over. You're done. These beasts devour. But men look at him, they say, oh, look at how great that is. Look at, look at that beautiful image. God says, you better stay away from that ravenous beast. That's the difference. That's, you've got to look at the world from God's perspective. Because the world can convince you something devilish, ungodly, something brutal, something, something horrendous. They can make it look so beautiful. And they can get you comfortable with it. And they make it, make it appear like it's, it's just it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing. It's part of the experience. Next thing you know, a lion is chewing on your head. Don't do that. Before you go with that crowd, stop and ask yourself, what does God say about this? And if God says it's a, it's a beast, well, I'm not going to call it a beautiful image. I'm not going with you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to mark a strong line here. I'm going to watch you go over there and get eaten by the lion. I'm not going over there with you. I'll, I'll video it and put it on YouTube and tell people don't go to the South African <laughs> safari. <laughs> uh, so you just got to keep that in mind. Four great beasts. Uh, look at, let's look at three passages real fast, and then I'll, I'll kind of give you an explanation of them after. Revelation 17. And we're going to be in and out of Revelation 13 and 17 quite a bit um, in the coming weeks. Verses 8 through 11. The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, and go into perdition, and they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they beheld the beast that was, and is, and yet is. Uh, let's go, go all the way down to verse 11. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the, the, the woman sitteth. And, and there are seven kings, five are fallen, and one is, and the other is not, is, is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was, and is, and is not, even he is the eighth, and is of the seven, and goeth into Perdition. Now, right, we're going to try to explain all that right now. We just uh, we want to get a few ideas and, and keep moving. We'll try to make sense of some of these revelation uh, prophecies later in the, in the course. Verse 18. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred threescore and six. Look at chapter 11. And verse 7. And when they shall have, shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. Now, the beast in Daniel and the beast in Revelation represent people. That's, that's, that, that connection is extremely important because of the terms beast and the mark of a man and 
the mountains and, and, and all that, we, we, we lose connection with what God is talking about. And so we are looking for a man. All right, when we get to this final kingdom, we're looking for a man that is that, that has a religious type of following, and he is supported by ten kings. And, and it, I, I think it'll be that clear. You know, so what people do is they say, oh, the, the G8, the G8, that's almost ten. If they just get two more nations, there's the ten kingdoms. No, that's just, that has nothing to do with Bible prophecy. Uh, the United Nations, everyone thought that. That's, uh, there, there it is. That's the United Nations, the one world government. It's, it's forming. That has absolutely nothing to do with Bible prophecy. You're looking for the right people as defined by Daniel 7, Zechariah, Revelation, and any other prophetic books that give us insight into what's going on here. They come from and represent men, people, nations, tongues, etc. The winds, the seas, and the beasts stand as illustrations of the character of these people. Right? So when God says, you know, that, that she sat on uh, you know, ten hills, and it was it was like multitudes of people. All right, that that's supposed to help illustrate the characteristics of those people. All right, and, and and so when it says that it comes out of the sea, and the sea is the multitudes of people, and 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 it, it's it's trying to help explain to you this is a this is a massive number of people, enough to be like a sea of people, like an ocean of people. All right, so it's it's trying to give you characteristics to help you know, explain them. And um, ultimately, they'll be vile, striving, conquering, blaspheming. That will ultimately be their character and who they are and what they represent. All right, let's go back and read verses four through eight. And depending on how long that takes, we'll take a break. Daniel 7, verses four through eight. Excuse me. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked and it was lifted up from the earth and made and made stand upon the feet as a man and a man's heart was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second like to a bear, and it raised up itself on one side and it and it had three ribs in the mouth of it between the teeth of it. And they said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. And after this I beheld, and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, and strong exceedingly. And it had great iron teeth, it devoured and brake in pieces, and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots, and behold, in, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man, and a mouth speaking great things. All right. Let's, uh, we got a few minutes. Let's, let's go, let's go a little bit further. The Lord gives us, us a brief explanation of the first three beasts. 
And then the focus turns exclusively to the fourth beast until the Lord's return interrupts. The ultimate purpose of the vision is to focus on the fourth beast. Right Now, that's, that's the difficult reality that, uh, that people often can't accept. The purpose of this chapter is to explain to you the fourth beast. And that's, that's it. Now, the fourth beast, then the second coming of the Lord and, 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 the, and, and the things that will take place after the Lord comes. But that's the ultimate purpose of this chapter. It doesn't give us information about the first three beasts other than the brief explanation that, it just, that we just read. That's it. They're not mentioned in the interpretation. The, the, the fourth beast is the focus. Um, the standard teaching takes the characteristics of these four beasts and then searches the secular world to make them fit current existing countries. They will say the eagle represents America, the bear represents Russia, etc., To accomplish this, the commentator is forced to completely imagine the possible connection between the two they suppose exists. There is no connection scripturally. So they just, you know, Bear and Russia. I mean, that seems popular. So so that's who it is. It's it's Russia. And other than, than that connection, there is no other connection. There's no scriptural connection. So you have to drag that into this. To, to force it to fit here. Uh, there would be no cross-reference you could run to, to prove that this is Russia. It, it, it won't fit. It doesn't exist. Um, in fact, you, you'll never find it done with cross-references. And if you read the writings of the commentators who teach these things, I mean, the story is so elaborate, you're like, man, that must be true. <laughs> I mean, he, it's like reading a novel. It's exactly like reading a novel. A novel is fiction. <laughs> so is this idea. And we don't want fiction. We want nonfiction. We want fact. And the fact is that there is no connection between this bear and Russia. There is no connection between the eagle and America. America is a Gentile nation that has nothing to do with future prophecy. That's it. They exist in the time when the, king, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. And right now, America is the strongest. And if you cross them, they're the most violent. <laughs> China wants to take America's place. And if, Mer- if China gets strong enough, they will take America's place. Russia wants to take America's place. Russia's way behind. China is behind, but Russia's way behind. Uh, but right now, the number one contender for, you know, top, the strongest country in the world is China. And they're doing their best to try and move into that position. They're not there, but they want it. And so if they become strong enough and violent enough, they'll take the kingdom of heaven. Right now, they're calling, they're calling in loans, apparently, on several countries that they, they, they use these loans to lure African and, and South American and uh, Asian, you know, third world countries. They come to them, they say, oh, we'll build your, we'll, we'll give you a loan to build your roads. And these countries, desperate for money, for whatever reason, mismanaged and, and in trouble, they say, oh, well, that'd be great. Give us the loan. Then China comes back and says, oh, you want to use that money to pay our people to come build your roads? And the same countries say, oh, that'd be great. Send your people to build our roads. And so we'll use the money you gave us as a loan to pay you 
to build our roads, but we still owe you the debt. Uh, how do you work that kind of plan out? That's <clears throat> And so that's what they do. And so, and so now several of these countries can't pay, and they're calling these loans, which means they're going to start taking assets. These countries use their international airport, and they use their oil, or they use their minerals, if it's gold or whatever it is, and, and they say, oh, we'll use that as collateral. So now China, China owns it. <laughs> and so that, that's, that's the game that China's playing right now to help bring itself up, but they have one huge problem. They have one billion hungry people, <laughs> and they have an economy that's... Uh, and so they're in serious trouble. Now, if you're an American looking and saying, well, the number one country competing with you is in serious you know, economic trouble and is probably not going to make it through this, you might be inclined to say, I guess we're okay. But that would be a dumb thing to do. Because what do you do with one billion starving people? You think they're going to stay there and die in China? <laughs> no, they're coming out. And they're going to start taking places that will help feed their people. Right, so we're moving towards a very delicate time period where the U.S. and all its allies, if anybody even wants to be allies with the U.S. anymore after they've let their allies be mistreated recently, and China and Russia and all their allies, and no one wants to be allies with them, but they don't really have a choice. <laughs> they're kind of forced into it. And, and so the world is rapidly dividing and taking sides and we're moving towards something that is going to be ugly. Now, will World War III be prophetic? Well, was World War II prophetic? What prophecy was fulfilled by World War II? What about World War I? Do you know when they had World War I, they literally said it was the war to end all wars. They literally believed that war was so bad, there would never be another war. And just a few years later, World War II breaks out. <laughs> Messed that whole thing up. All right, so will there be a World War III? I hope not. At least not in my country <laughs> or wherever I'm living. <laughs> uh, you know, Russia and China, you want to go fight? Then go, go somewhere and fight. <laughs> go to Antarctica and blow each other away. <laughs> Have at it. <laughs> Melt the polar ice caps and all that. I don't, I don't care. Just leave us alone. <laughs> uh, but that's just not how it's going to work. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast.